You're listening to a bonus episode of The Dairy Age, featuring Chagisk's weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also available as a podcast. Good morning, everyone. Um, you are all very welcome to this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar. We have Tomas Tobrit on with us. Um, a lot of Tomas's work over the last number of years has been maybe around the pasture profit index and, and a lot of the trail work and, and commercial farm work that feeds into that, Tomas. Um, in terms of grass varieties, but I know myself in terms of a lot of the questions is you, you get handed a label or you get told here's uh, special mix A and, and, and special mix B and I don't know what sort of names is on them, but sh- should we be using, I suppose, the pasture profit index? And, and first of all, maybe what is it for, for farmers that maybe haven't come across it to us? Yeah, so Morton James and everyone else. So <clears throat> the pasture profit index is essentially it's a um, it's a variety selection support tool. So when you're reseeding, uh, you know you look up the PPI list and it just gives you direction of what's being in a mixer. If you're looking at a mixer, what's actually in the mix and how those varieties perform, and you know. Um, what are the strengths and weaknesses of those varieties? So when you look at the PPI, it's essentially a table, like a league table, and it's ranking kind of 30 varieties from best to worst based on their overall merit. And how we determine its overall merit is taken from um, data collected by the Department of Agriculture's recommended list trial. And then there's also some data from Chagas Park wheat variety trials here, uh, and that feeds some data into the PPI. Um, we take this data, we change this data into economic values and the economic value expresses you know the expected net profit uh, per hectare per year that would be expected to be made on your farm by selecting that variety or a mixture of those varieties um, that's essentially it what's important to know about the ppi is like i said it's 30 varieties um every year on the list but it's also like far more varieties are tested by the department and by us that will never make it onto the list and because they're not good enough essentially so the ppi and the the recommended list trials they kind of act as a screening uh process whereby only the best varieties are making it onto irish farms so ultimately it's no different than ebi in terms of breeding and genetics it's 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 a, a ranking for grass seed varieties and and it's based around economics and what they're delivering actually on the ground as such. So I was only looking at it there this morning before we come on. There there's loads of different things in it, um, Tomas. And I suppose if for for people that's looking at it the first time, how do they go about using that? Um, there's a number of different sub indexes. There's heading dates. There's um, utilization figures. There's there's lots of different things. I suppose if I'm a dairy farmer, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, right, I want to do a bit of receding. Um, how would I go about about selecting the varieties I want to use? Yeah. So, like I said, the varieties rank based on their overall total PPI. Um, so that's just kind of one figure like totally EBI just describes how uh, overall how, how good uh, that grass variety is but within the PPI as well there are a number of sub indices um, or traits essentially associated with um, these varieties and these traits are spring summer and autumn herbage yield you have herbage quality you have silage yield for each variety and we also have persistency of each variety and uh, each variety is given a score within each of those traits or sub indices. And then if you add up 
the performance of a variety within each of those sub-indices, it gives you the total PPI of that variety. So that's essentially, uh, that's the overall merit, but we also have, you know, variety specific performance of those varieties as well. Also within the PPI, we have the um, grazing utilization sub-index. So you'll see that on the right-hand side of the PPI, it's essentially a star rating with the higher the stars, the better grazing utilization. And that's kind of um, an indication of how suited a variety is to intensive rotational grazing. Uh, generally varieties that are higher in the stars, the cows tend to get, you know, better cleanouts on them. And you're finding that you don't have to top them as much or, you know, do kind of uh, corrections on those fields as much during the year. So Good then... Oh, sorry, James. Sorry, uh, just on that in terms of, because I know that there's been a bit of interest that has been added in the last couple of seasons. That has, that has been an extra element that has been added. Mm-hmm. Tell me, in layman's terms, a one-star variety on, on, on utilisation versus a five-star variety, what are we talking in terms of the difference in terms of residuals at, at farm level as such from us? In- in terms of residuals, so how the index is derived is from variety plot trials that I'm running here in Chagas Moor Park. And generally what I was finding is, so the varieties are in the field, cows go into the field, you know, they graze it over a couple of hours. And when I go to the field, maybe the cows have gone for milking and I'm just inspecting how well the variety or the cows have done on those varieties. Our best varieties are five stars, are readily grazed to you know, three and a half, four centimeters, not a bother. Whereas our five star varieties are closer to five and a half and six. Okay, your so, per or your one star varieties. So it is kind of preference. And maybe if you had the vari- the cows in a field of a certain variety, they'd do better. But where they're given the choice of what they want to graze, they're actively showing that they like grazing their five star varieties. The one star varieties just don't, you know, they don't like grazing them. And then where we find on farm, where we have monoculture sown, um, you know, the same varieties are always coming up and it correlates very closely to what we're finding in plots. How come when I put the cows into this field, they didn't graze it out? That's essentially it, no? Yep, yep, absolutely. Another one maybe for you there is, I suppose, dairy systems have, you know, they've got very much specialised in terms of, and 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 differ in terms of I suppose milking platforms, milking platform stocking rates, but there's outside blocks there as well and they're, kind of been managed differently i suppose a grazing mix versus a silage mix should we be using different varieties and i suppose firstly on the grazing mix what are we selecting for how many varieties maybe should we be including and and should we be balancing for certain things to most yeah so exactly james and that's what i suppose the sub indices within the ppi allow us to make these more tailored um uh, mixtures so we kind of have yeah our grazing mixes then our silage mixes and then maybe a general purpose so when we're looking at a grazing platform the objective from those wards is to maximize the milk production from the cows grazing those wards and to obviously you know ease grazing management and get as much grazings as possible off those paddocks so what we're looking at there is essentially um selecting varieties that are performing highly in the quality sub-index. So quality is essentially digestibility of the sward. Higher the digestibility, the more milk 
that we're going to get from the cows grazing that grass. And then secondly, you want to be looking at the grazing utilization sub-index. You know, we want to utilize as much grass as possible into the diet of these cows. And we don't want to be getting up in the tractor topping or putting the cows back in there after milking for a couple of hours only to move them on later on in the night. Just creates a small bit of headaches. So they're the two main traits. And then once you kind of have those varieties maybe maximized in the uh, grassland mix that you're looking at, um, have a quick look at the yield you don't want mm. you know you don't want anything too low as particularly in spring and autumn yield but generally most of the varieties as you mix them together you'll get overall kind of yield performance and um, it should be fine when we're looking then at our outblocks they're probably going to be cut for maybe first or second cut silage the really the, the main sub-index that we have to look at is the silage sub-index so the, how the silage sub-index is derived is varieties are sown then they're they're given a kind of uh, an, a spring cut, as you would a spring grazing. They're closed for six or seven weeks, cut for first cut silage, closed for another five or six weeks, cut for second cut. So it really is showing, it is reflective of what these varieties can do in a silage system. And we just want varieties that are performing highly in that sub-index as well. Sometimes you might have heifers grazing an outblock too. It's very easy to mix, say, you know, good grazing utilizations where you want to get them cleaned out and silage. There are certain varieties there that perform well in silage and well in grazing utilization. So there is, you know, scope to do that as well. Yeah. And another one that farmers often ask maybe with regards to silage mixes is, is head and date. Any recommendations on that in terms of should we be trying to, if we've three varieties, to, to, to get them, I suppose, as close together as possible? And, and should we be looking at those later heading, heading varieties or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So generally, when we're talking about mixing varieties and heading dates, what we're normally saying, you wouldn't want to mix more than maybe four varieties together. It's kind of a max. And when it comes to silage wars, heading date seems to be really important. So you want to narrow that window of heading. Um, Generally, whether by, if you're picking intermediates or lates, so long as the window is tight between four and six days and you're aware of that. So, you know, you could pick an intermediate heading mix for silage, but you'd want to be, you know, getting into it about the 20th, 22nd of May. And I suppose maybe if you're picking later heading varieties that are high in the silage sub-index, you have a bit more days to play with. But still, you have to be getting into them, you know, before June, essentially, as well. Um, what was your other question, James? Um, no, it was just in terms of should oh, we... Sorry, and, yeah, and sorry, with heading date, then, what I found now when we're looking at heading date in grazing swords is that it's not having as much as an effect as maybe it used to be taught. And there's probably two things happening. So heading date range between varieties on the list is probably narrowing. Beforehand, we would have had varieties heading in the 15th of May, and much later, whereas that window already within the list seems to be narrowing. And also what we're finding is in a grazing scenario, if, if we're doing good graze, good grassland management, we're grazing at 1,400 covers, the grasses ain't actually getting a opportunity to express their heading as such. Um, and therefore, you know, heading date doesn't really seem to have as much of an influence. So we've done trials where we've had mixtures of varieties with wide ranging heading dates. And there was no real disadvantage in terms of quality, dry matter yield, and you know, in 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 grazing mixes. In a grazing mix, yeah. The other one, the age old one that comes up, um, and and it's detailed there on the PPI too, is 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 diploid versus tetraploid, and um, I think there's been a fair shift underground in terms of towards tetraploids. Um, your thoughts on that, and 
inclusions of both in mixes maybe um to most yeah so yeah tetraploids and diploids so generally what it means is it's just kind of difference in the cell structure of the varieties and that means it's going to bestow kind of advantages and disadvantages in terms of the traits within the PPI essentially so our diploid varieties they tend to um they tend to so we could have two swords both at 1400 kilograms of dry matter but visually our diploid sword is going to be uh lower in height and so it's going to be much denser because obviously if it has the same amount of yield that has to be come from somewhere so that's the density that's going to give it that so then our tetraploids tend to be more open and taller uh, when we look at them also our tetraploid varieties will tend to be lower in dry matter by about a percentage now, really that's not going to make much of a difference when you're doing your grass walk or anything like that but it's something to be aware of uh, but also within that they tend to be higher in quality as well so you're looking at maybe an extra percentage percentage and a half in terms of digestibility um uh, for those varieties as well and then lastly looking at those and it probably is a relationship between the higher quality and also the morphology of the sword the more openness of those swords our tetraploid varieties are shown to be far more utilizable on farms so um you know cows just tend to far more ease in grazing them to your target post grazing sward heights and from the on-farm trial that we have you know we've 100 farmers involved in the trial with you know five six paddocks dedicated to one variety they're kind of balanced between ploidy diploids and tetraploids uh, always we kind of get asked for you know the tetraploids stand out the farmers like the tetraploids or maybe the diploids stand out for the wrong reasons is how you could describe it so really tetraploids in a grazing scenario in particular really have they have more advantages than the diploids and therefore we should be targeting to increase the amount of tetraploids in our swords. Generally, what we'd be recommending is, like me, based on this on-farm trial that we've seen, 100% tetraploid is no problem, really. Uh, there might be concerns about their openness or their persistency, but we see no differences between those varieties. So generally, if, if you're, if you like, a ch- not a challenge, but, you know, you're not so worried about um, uh, maybe openness and stuff like that. 100% tetraploid is not a bother. Maybe if you're on wetter land and you, you, you're maybe in, you've always kind of been an, a fan of diploids in your sword. Maybe go to about 40% max. I think diploids in the sword mm. is really as I've far seen as you that can on, on the mm. yeah the heavy soils program there, where a lot of the time it might might have been 50-50 switch. A lot of those guys now on that demonstration farm program, they're at as you say. They've deployed down to 30, 40% of, of mixes now and, and find much easier in terms of grazing management. Um, yeah. In terms of, as always, folks, um, post your questions. If you have any questions for Tomas, we'll take them. I see one's in there. It's about a, a particular variety. We'll come to that in a moment. Um, persistency. Um, mm-hmm. There's one, I suppose. Are, are you seeing differences in terms of persistency and what sort of weighting is on that within the within within PPI? Yeah, so persistency is a very important trait for varieties. You know, when we're reseeding, it's going to cost us probably up to the way prices are gone. It's going to cost you a thousand euro a hectare just to reseed, and therefore, if you have to reseed more often, the fixed cost of that reseeding is increased. So, uh, for that reason, it has a massive weighting within the PPI. But what we're finding within our variety trials and on farm is that there's um, 
no difference really between these varieties in terms of their persistency, provided they're well managed. You know, there's a caveat there. And really interesting work from Kieran Hearn here in Chagas Moor Park. He looked at like the eight year data set from our on farm variety trial. So, um, you know, he balanced all the varieties and he looked at how their dry matter yield changes over time, essentially. So you can imagine year zero to year eight, you what we thought would happen would be there kind of be a linear decline. You might be losing 500 kilograms of dry matter every year. And then over time, a threshold is reached where you make a receding decision. But really interesting, Kieran has basically found that from year one to year two, we do get quite a drop in dry matter yield, maybe up to 500 or a ton of dry matter. But that's probably more explained by when we recede, there's going to be a kind of flush of nitrogen that's available for the following year. And that's given us a kind of higher yield in the first year of that variety. And then we see that drop in year two. But from years two to four to six to eight, we're really seeing no difference in the dry matter yield of these varieties. And even over time, from years two to four, they seem to be quite stable. And uh, from years four to eight, we're actually seeing a slight increase in the dry matter yield of those varieties. So anyone who's at the open day or has an open day booklet, you'll see a paper there. And there's a really nice looking graph where, you know, you really do see a stabilization of the varieties mm. in terms of dry matter yield, which kind of telling is telling us that these varieties are persistent um, over time. And one of the things from the on-farm trial we would see is where varieties maybe have been reseeded after four or five years, we get feedback from the farmers. Why did they do that? And it was nothing to do with dry matter yield or quality or mm. some other thing. It was more that they either did you know, poaching, which does happen, and they decided they'd reseed it, or management difficulties. The cows did not like grazing their variety, and they said, Feck it, I'll just reseed it and make my life easier. So rather than the variety is not persisting, it was something else wrong with the variety. So really what you're telling us is under correct management, I suppose good soil fertility always will come in there, Tomas, in terms of making sure our perennial ryegrass is um, uh, persist. But under correct management, uh, persistency isn't an issue in any of the varieties that's no, up there on the PPA. Exactly. A, a number of good questions coming in there. A, a couple of great ones, actually, in terms of uh, clover. And I'll come I'll come back to that. Uh, I'm going to ask you the question, when the PPI for clover is going to be ready? We put a wee bit of pressure on yours or something like that into pipeline for clover. But um, suitabilities, varieties that, that, is there any work ongoing there where there's varieties that are you're seeing are better in terms of incorporating clover? And I suppose there's another question there similar in terms of tetraploids versus diploids. Or, so any advice in terms of that whole clover piece and varieties that are showing you that it's easier to incorporate clover to moss? Yeah. So, so we have a couple of things ongoing. So Clonakilty is known as a clover farm. But when Clonakilty started, there was also a variety, perennial ryegrass variety component to that as well. So they had monocultures of perennial ryegrass sown with and without clover. And Anya Murray did a nice piece of work where she examined, um, you know, were the varieties influencing how well the clover was doing. I suppose really nice piece of work, but the data coming from it was a bit mixed. So like the best variety that we had was, I, I think it was Glenvay, which is a diploid that's gone off the list now. And Glenvay was always known for being quite dense, but maybe maybe not as vigorous in terms of growth. Whereas then the next varieties that followed were, I think, the four tetraploid varieties that were included in that trial. And then lastly, there was another three diploid varieties. So it was quite mixed and we couldn't really make any um, 
you know, concrete uh, conclusions as such. Conclusions on that, and I suppose part of the problem there is look, it's only eight varieties. You probably do need a wider spread of varieties. So last year I sold a small small plot study of only about ten varieties, and going forward we're going to be looking at do these varieties, I suppose there are more newer varieties that are currently on the list, so uh, do these varieties influence how well the clover is doing? And we're also going to be actually looking at the traits of the perennial ryegrass and what's happening there, because it's grand to say that such a variety is good for clover, not so good for clover, mm-hmm. but you also need the reasons behind that. So we, it's balanced for ploidy and stuff like that. So really mm-hmm. the answer is no, we don't, uh, and there could be a load of things going on. So the differences between tetraploids and diploids. Yes, the diploids are denser, so you'd imagine there's less light and space for the clover to perform in. But if we have a really aggressive tetraploid variety that you know gets up and going very fast and shades out the clover very fastly, well, obviously that's not going to be very good for the clover either. So the work is ongoing. I suppose based on the plot work and stuff we have going in the future, I would hope to see, you know, a development of maybe a clover compatibility subindex within the PPI. That's yes. probably where I see uh, part of the development of PPI going going forward. Yes, very good. Um, uh, good question from TJ. I suppose how many varieties should be put in one mix? And I think maybe you, you touched on four, but if you're putting a mix together yourself, what is it? Is it two? Is it three? Is it four? What are you thinking? It could be one. So it could be one. really, it could be one if it's hitting high quality, high grade neutralization. There's one variety, and you know it's not deficient in too many of the yield traits. That's a perfect. Uh, God, really, if I was getting up, I'd probably go with two varieties in a clover. That's really where I see, because what yeah. I, uh, we did trials here where we mixed three varieties together, four varieties together. We had monocultures and binary mixtures and that. So when you do mix varieties, it, it's basically the average. You can look at the PPI, you pick two varieties, you take the average, of their, that's what the sward is going to do. And that's great. And, you know, you can mix good with bad. If you have a good quality and good digestibility, you may be low on yield. You, you mix in a high yielder and you get generally good enough performance. But also you are going to dilute the advantages of maybe the high quality, you know. So the more you mix, the more dilution is going on. And therefore, you know, you're, you probably won't get the... Um, the advantage of that so yeah. look two and or that's three the one varieties thing where you kind of said you, you need probably um a certain amount of each in each mix to 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 see those traits to moss exactly them. that yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. that's the one thing i suppose when you see these bags um just to make sure that often you can see four five six different varieties and and some of them in small enough quantities to moss you you probably question are you going to get any benefit from that variety in, in a mix then are you that's exactly it so look i suppose new varieties are always flashy you know it's it's sales new varieties are flashy uh but when new varieties come onto the ppi or come into the market they're probably there in low enough numbers anyway they haven't gone through the same multiplication processes you know the seed building processes so they are going to be there in low enough numbers and that's to be expected for the first couple of years of varieties um so you can tolerate that, but yeah, sometimes the best varieties being included at small rates, it really is a fool's game. It is, you really do need to be looking, so you go down to your co-op, you ask for a bag of grass seed, you might be given a choice, you mightn't be. Like, it's just, while you probably are going to leave 
to co-op with that bag of grass seed you probably don't have much other choice essentially unless you're very well organized it is worthwhile to look down through the varieties make sure they're all on the ppi to begin with then maybe look at if it's down as a grazing mix and you see that there's a one star grazing variety in that mix it's always worth asking the question to the person in the co-op why is that variety there because look you might end up going home with it and reseeding or yeah sowing it in but the next year the co-op is going to have to talk to the seed companies and mm -hmm. you know make up a mix essentially for that company and they can always ask oh we got questions last year why was that variety included in and it just it keeps everyone honest essentially and um yeah. you know the ability of using the PPI to select your mix is probably not there as such because varieties tend to stay within house. But just keeping everyone honest and asking questions about why a, a mix was kind of designed that way is worthwhile, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I've seen lots of cases now where where groups have come together, let it be purchasing groups, discussion groups early in the year, and they've, they've ultimately looked at the PPI got a bit of advice, put together the role mixes um, and, and they're there and in play for the year. Um, exactly. A couple of other questions. There's one there. Any update on the star rating for, it's obviously for utilisation on uh, Nashota. So the, yeah, the, Nashota, the so in front of me here, I have the 2022 uh, yeah. recommend or PPI. Uh, the 2023 one was produced this year, but it wasn't really... It's kind of hard to find. It's kind of hidden. But Nishota is a five-star grazing variety. And also what is not there, Barrowave came back as a five-star grazing variety. And you also had Glenfield was a five-star grazing variety. So a lot of the varieties uh, up to the upper part of the PPI that didn't have a grazing utilization, say, last year, uh, they all, they're all tetraploid varieties and they all came back as five-star grazing varieties. Very good. I have two last questions in terms of... There's obviously a recommended white clover list. Um, are we going to get to a point in, in time to come where we're, we're going to have a breakdown within that? Um, no different than our grass varieties, I suppose, Tomas, in terms of um, clover is obviously going to be very, very important in our grazing systems going forward. Yeah, so a clover profit index is essentially it. So, yeah. Really? I sold last year, God, I sold 18 different clover varieties and we've in different nitrogen rates and stuff like that. Uh, we have a PhD student going to start in that study probably this September, you know, so we have a year's data from this year, we'll have another year's data next year, and then that student will probably start, you know, looking through the data and seeing what differences is. So currently we have a recommended list for white clover varieties. It has, um, basically it's just yield, yield and clover proportion. Uh, essentially is all that's in it where we want to move the clover recommended list testing towards is looking at the qualities of these clovers um because you know quality has a massive effect on milk production and if there are differences between the varieties that'll be good to know and also nitrogen fixation so um so within that trial i saw last year we have varieties that are getting no nitrogen throughout the year and varieties that are getting um you know, 75 kilograms of nitrogen, 150 kilograms of nitrogen. And yep. say, also within that, we have the grass only getting zero nitrogen. So if we have a grass only sward that's yielding 10 ton getting zero nitrogen. And we have a grass clover sward that's yielding 12 ton getting zero nitrogen. 
you know, there's obviously two ton of fixation going on there, and then there'll also be differences between the different clover varieties. So they're kind of the traits. We'll have yield traits, quality traits, persistency of the clovers, and also nitrogen fixation of clovers is where we kind of see this clover profit index going. But we're probably looking at, oh, by the time it's introduced commercially, you're probably looking at 2026, 2027. Maybe a prototype by 2025. Yeah, 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 you got on. ahead of me there. I was going to kind of turn and put a bit of pressure on you when that was coming. Yeah. But, um, obviously, the work has to be done, but it's in the, it's 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 in the pipeline and it's it's something that's available. The last one is, um, and I was standing in a field of it yesterday in terms of Valley Hayes um, red clover. Um, there isn't, I'm right in saying, uh, Irish recommendation recommended list for red clover. Um, I suppose, why is that and when are we likely to have one um, and what can people do in the meantime, I suppose, Tomas? Yeah, so you're right. There is no Irish recommended list for red clover. And the reason for that is it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an important crop here in Ireland and therefore, you know, resources being inputted into doing trial work on that it wasn't done but there is talks from our department uh, recommended list testing to introduce a red clover um protocol so in future years that may happen um uh, currently in chagas moor park last year i sold uh, i think we had eight red clover varieties and we've the grass only monocultures there as well some of you might have seen it at the open day um really good looking crop actually so we've done first cut off that we've done second cut off that differences between varieties off the top of my head might have been 500 kilograms of dry matter difference in yield between those and going forward we're also going to be doing looking at uh, we might look at silage quality we need to kind of come up with a methodology to look at the silage quality coming from these red clover varieties which would be really really interesting work Um, so we're thinking maybe if we could you know bag each sample at harvesting vacuum packet remove the air test the soil six weeks later we might be able to do something in that sphere and we're also going to be looking at nitrogen fixation as well so um that's generally we'll have so i suppose we're maybe a step ahead of the department we're looking at these varieties under different nitrogen rates and maybe the hope would be that the department might adopt some of the methodologies that we're developing in the trial here in moor park and that could become our red clover so currently there's no list if you were looking to get more information on red clover varieties your best port to call is to go to the uk recommended list they have a list of about 12 varieties i'd say and that is steering in the right direction very good tomas um we've done maybe a little bit longer but all all good stuff um and i think great questions um from our listeners this morning it's obviously a space that that it gets lots of attention i suppose the key points there being tomas as you say if you act early in the year, you probably have the opportunity to go and 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 make the best list, po- make the best um, seed uh, possible in terms of what you want to put in your bag. If not, I suppose, and you're going purchasing, as you say, ultimately look at the list, make sure they're on the recommended list, and make sure they're doing what you want them to do, as you said. Is it is it a grazing uh, type mixture that you want or is it a silage type mixture that you want? Um, yeah, as exactly, always- because like I said, look, it's a 10-year investment. You saw it year zero, but you're going to be looking at it for another 10, 12 years. So you don't want to put something in that's wrong because you'll just be regretting it you know, for a long, long, long time. So it does pay just to take a half hour, make sure the, the mix is right for you and you know, it, it should give you a good return thereafter. 
Yeah, and lots of work, as you say, ongoing in terms of um, um, clover, uh, a clover index, and also, as you say, in terms of the idea of of actually having a, a red clover recommended list. So, lots of work on, undergoing in that whole um, um, variety space. So, look, we appreciate your time, Tomas. As always, very informative. Um, if there is any more questions, um, folks, and and you do think of anything at a later date, don't be afraid to drop me an email. Otherwise, thanks a million, Tomas, and um, we'll see you, listeners. Uh, next week as always um, farm safely it's, it's a busy time on farms in terms of trying to get silage and stuff done so just take care thanks folks that's all for this week's bonus episode from the Let's Talk Dairy webinar series and don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week I'll be back with the usual Dairy Edge podcast on Monday so do listen in then I'm Stuart Childs and thanks for listening <laughs>